The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Gary Hogan are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Good morning, gentlemen. Good to see you all this morning through the smoke and haze. Yes, good morning, (laughs) morning. Scott and Don. So, you, you know, one story I was uh, I caught this past week and, you know, we talked about this for a while, especially post pandemic was the housing market. And we remember how, you know, the, the, the prices fluctuated and, and that sort of thing, but and then cooled off. Now it's it's starting to heat up again, it looks like. Yeah, you know what? Different sectors. Um, it's you know, location, location, location is is still there. Like, it yeah. matters, um, you know, during the height of the pandemic, it didn't really matter where. The house happened to be but yes it is heating up uh, people are out there looking um particular dollar values the lower end houses are, are certainly got um you know back to people lining up and lots of showings again so yes you're starting to see that it's almost like the okay we know this is five percent interest rates are kind of the new normal right now and we've kind of accepted that and the prices have dropped to a certain extent so it almost like you know, the rates are down, but the houses prices, sorry, the rates are up and the housing prices are down. So they've offset a bit. So, yeah, they, they've hit that equilibrium and and people are back out looking at houses. We hear, too, uh, Don, in the news stories about uh, last week or uh, that, you know, in two years from now, in three years from now, we're heading for some sort of train wreck uh, because mortgages are coming due. Do you want to touch on that? Yeah, I personally, uh, oh, that would only matter if the interest rates do not drop and yeah. most you know, if you look at most uh, indications, you, you, you'd expect interest rates to con- continue to drop. And that's usually if you look at uh, what they call an inverse yield curve, where right now the short-term interest rate, say a mortgage, uh, one-year mortgage is like 6%, but a five-year mortgage is under 5%. That's not normal. And it's usually the opposite. So they are projected interest rates will start to fall. And yes, I know people, I'd love to look at the negative on everything and it's yeah. bad news. And if it stayed like this for the next three years you're absolutely right but it would be unlikely it's fascinating that that was quite a story last week as you mentioned <laughs> they got to come up with some good good story right that uh, people will catch ears or or eyeballs or what have you and on that note we're talking about alternative ways to to uh to save for a home yeah there's you know what there's a lot of uh contrasting things going on right now just further to what what uh, you've commented on already and and you know we've got we've got uh, some situations now where where uh, homes are selling for over asking again. We're we're definitely seeing some of that, and yet we've got those people that have mortgages coming due in the foreseeable future, say within the next year, who are quite concerned. I, I talked with some people just last week, and um, they're they're looking at uh, you know if more if rates stay the same, and I agree with what Don said. I, I think we're going to see lower rates. Again, but uh, based on where things are right now, I know they were at a three percent. They had a very large mortgage, actually, and uh, you know they're looking at in and around six percent still for a five-year term. So there's a there's a lot of things a lot of things happening uh, that aren't necessarily consistent with respect to the housing market. But you know um, what I wanted to talk about too, and, and just share some information. Uh, most of us are familiar with, uh, reasonably familiar with the home buyers plan that was rolled out by the government, which of course allows us to use RSP dollars 
uh, to put towards a, a home. And I'll talk about the, the specifics in a, in a few minutes, but um, we have we have a new opportunity now. And I think the, the new opportunity that the government has rolled out is is just recognizing, clearly recognizing the, the, the dire situation that we've been in and are in, in terms of uh, uh, people buying their first home and how challenging that is. So this particular vehicle is called the First Home Savings Account. And there's a lot of aspects to this which uh, which are extremely positive. It it actually is um, it can be used in conjunction or in addition to the home buyer's plan, but it it actually has a lot more features and a lot more flexibility and therefore a lot more benefit than than the actual home buyer's plan. So the the eligibility issue is you you have to of course be a a resident of Canada. You have to be at least 18 and not having turned 72. Or older in in the year that you uh, you would take one out, so you have to be a first time home buyer, and um, you know that's that's pretty straightforward. Now the contributions, it's a lifetime contribution of forty thousand uh, dollars, as opposed to the thirty five that the home buyer's plan allows us to draw from our RSPs. There's an annual contribution limit of eight thousand dollars in any year, which uh, which is effective uh, this year in twenty twenty three. So what you can do is you can carry forward that contribution room into subsequent years. So let's say that uh, you open up a, uh, a first home uh, savings account this year, sometime this year before the end of the year, and um, but you don't put any money in. You can then put 8000 for this year and 8000 of next year's contribution in at that point in time. So you can catch up on that. You know, which is a which is definitely a, a real benefit. Um, it's possible to hold more if I don't know that there's there's no real benefit, but you can hold more than one uh, first home savings account. But the total contributions have to fall within that that threshold of of eight thousand per year. Um, so you, uh, unlike RSPs, where of course with RSPs we can make contributions in January and February up to March first, typically and allocate those towards the previous year. The contributions have to be made during the, the, the calendar year. And um, if, you, uh, if you contribute to uh, the first home savings account, um, you do not have to claim a deduction because this is tax deductible, which is another significant factor, but you don't have to claim that deduction that year. Similar to an RSP, you can make an RSP contribution, of course, but defer uh, the the deduction or the deductibility for a subsequent year, if you know that, say, next year you're going to have uh, much greater income. Um, like other uh, registered accounts, um, there's there's a there's a penalty or a tax on over contributions, and that's that's the case with, of course, with TFSAs and so on. I do want to say too that uh, I really wish that um, when when the home buyer or when the tax free savings accounts were rolled out initially. I really wish, and, and I'm sure, Don, you would agree, I really wish the, the terminology was a, a, a tax-free investment account because it was so misleading for many people. And mm-hmm. the same thing applies with, uh, you know, with the, the first home savings account. I wish it was called a first home investment account. And the, you know, what, we, what we saw within the industry when TFSAs were rolled out in, in 2009, we saw a situation where um, a lot of um, institutions were packaging up uh, deposit accounts, short-term deposit accounts under the umbrella of a TFSA, 
And that is why, Don, you and I uh, many, many times heard from people the question of, you know, what is your tax-free savings account rate? Yes, absolutely. And this is sound, kind of similar to people way back when we started there, Gary, asking, what's your RSPs paying? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and thinking, okay, you can't have investments in there. They simply re- remember these as, okay, what's the GIC rate within the RSP? And then, so yeah, and even accountants were confused with the terminology of of the TFSA tax free savings account quotations because it made it sound like it had to go into a savings account. So right. no, um, I don't know. Uh, it's it's unfortunately the investment community doesn't get involved in the terminology because I think we would have been changing a few things there. Yeah, and you know the the thing is about about the the the, the first home uh, savings accounts. The the reality too is that. Um, you can actually move money in certain situations. You can move money from that account into your own RSP. You know, it's tax deductible. You can move it without tax into your own RSP. And of course, when you take money out of an RSP or RIF, we all know that that uh, that's brought into income. But it's a it's another strategic way to uh, save some money in addition to your regular RSP room because it doesn't affect your your RSP contribution room. Yeah, this is having your cake and eat it too. These are absolutely one of the best things for anybody that's looking to buy a home. I believe you can only carry the 8000 over one year. I right. don't believe it's unlike a TFSA where if you didn't use it, you can carry it over many years. So that would be one caveat. Um, so those people, like as you mentioned this year, that didn't, you know, didn't open one. And for that matter, there's still a lot of institutions that do not have them available. Right, right. So... So, so for those that didn't put their 8000 together this year, then perhaps they can go 16000 next year. Um, but I believe that's where it ends. TFSAs allow cumulative, and if you've never done a tax-free savings account, you can do 88000 this year. Right, right, which we do see some situations, rare situations, where uh, people are taking advantage of that. If, if for whatever reason they haven't participated uh, you know, at all since uh, 2009. Um, you know, so there's there's certain requirements in terms of, uh, you know, what types of investments qualify. And they're, they're the typical ones, same types of investments that qualify for, for RSPs, TFSAs, you know, basically uh, mutual funds, uh, ETFs, uh, et cetera, deposit accounts, bonds, that type of thing. Um, so it has to be a certain type of investment, which, which it, it isn't a barrier, you know, in any real regard. Um, there's, there's specific requirements in terms of withdrawing and transferring and so on, but it, it really is, uh, as you said, Don, it, it's a tremendous opportunity, a significant step up or step ahead for first time home buyers, uh, relative to the, the actual home buyer's plan. Um, you know, the home buyer's plan, of course, you have to repay yourself. Right over fifteen. You know, when you over, have no money because you got a big mortgage now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so you know that fifteen-year repayment period, and you know that's another thing that you know we're constantly constantly reminding people: if if you have to repay, say, a thousand dollars a year over the fifteen years, and you do you do two or three thousand dollars in RSP contributions if you're a younger younger person, uh, newly acquiring a home, and so on. Um, the big mistake is to allocate the entire two or three thousand towards the repayment because you lose the deductibility aspect. Yes, absolutely. And, and the nice thing with this, Gary, is that this is per person. So if there's a couple getting into a home, that's forty thousand dollars over the next five years that they can accumulate 
And $80,000 towards a down payment of home would not hurt anybody at this stage, especially for that first home, the first time home buyer. So, no, fantastic program. Absolutely, absolutely. So, you know, uh, very quickly, just to just to review a couple of things then. So the contributions that you make are tax deductible. So that reduces your taxable income in the, in that that current year. If you decide to use uh, this money for something other than a home, you can transfer that money to an RSP or RIF without affecting the, the contribution room. Um, so a straight comparison between the two is we talked about the repayment for the home buyer's plan. The withdrawal amount that you can use is lower. It's 35,000 versus the 40. Um, and that's based on your RSP contribution room. So if your income isn't that high, because it's income dependent in terms of the RSP room that you, you know, the 18% uh, of the previous year's income. So there are, you know, some limitations there. And uh, and also the money has to be in the RSP under the home buyer's plan for 90 days uh, prior to uh, to the withdrawal. So far more liberal with the other option. And I hope that we see uh, a lot of first time home buyers taking advantage of this. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Gary Hogan are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Going to take a quick break here. We're coming right back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Gary Hogan are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. Call them at IG Private Wealth Management, 905 972 7420. All right, Don, uh, I remember David Lee Roth used to have uh, the lead singer for Van Halen used to have a great line. Uh, Money may not buy happiness, but it'll certainly buy me a big enough yacht that I can sail right up beside it. (laughs) Is that close (laughs) enough to accurate? That would be nice, though, wouldn't it? Um, Yes. uh, It's kind of interesting. Money can buy happiness to a certain level. We'll get to that in a second. And there's a lot of stress that comes with money, though. And this is where we come, you know, you got both ends of the scale here. You got people, as you were just mentioning, about getting that first house and the stress of trying to save for that. And then, of course, interest rates coming up for renewal and their mortgages. And you're wondering, okay, am I able to afford the new payment when my mortgage matures? So there's stress with money. And so I would say money anxiety alone is one of the biggest anxieties we have, period. And it's been actually shown that. Um, and, you know, from a, these are American stats in a 2022 survey, 87%, and this is just a year ago, responded that inflation as a major source of stress. And the, and the price, the rising prices and everything from fuel to food have got people from all backgrounds worried. And so these are uh, kind of issues that you've seen, you know, quite a lot over the years you go back to the 80s this happened and but again not no other strengths since 2007 has affected people like inflation has and and so we're we're seeing that unravel a little bit um but in in generally what are the signs money and anxiety and uh, so i'm going to start with the kind of the negative stuff on money because you know we got to address okay what are what are you trying to avoid like maybe you may not even know as a listener um, are you going through money stress right now? You just kind of just live with it. And so in basic terms, 
It happens when you worry about your income or fear something bad could happen with your finances. To put it another way, it's an emotional response to your financial situation. That's what money anxiety is. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean you have no money at all. Um, it could mean that you've got lots of money or a great income, but you're afraid or worried about losing it um, or just almost anything to do with it. Unexpected bills. You know, it's so hard to predict the future. And and are you prepared? And, and you know, just all these kind of uh, issues go through your head. And, I, you know, we've gone through this, Gary and I, through um, a lot of anxiety. When, when the 2008 and 2009 financial collapse, call it, when the markets took a pretty good hit, the stock markets, and people saw their portfolios go down. And we, we were dealing with that quite frequently, trying to make sure people are okay. This is another downturn. We also went to a little mini one last year. We've seen it recover. But again, it's nice to have somebody to call. Don't you, don't you think, Gary? Absolutely. And that's, that's uh, one of the bigger portions of our job, isn't it? Our responsibility yes. to our clients. Yeah. And, and, and having that ear and, and understanding. And they want that because you can't find this. You can find it perhaps by reading it on you know, a Google search, but it doesn't do the same. Sometimes you just need that human being that has experience to go through, this is normal. And, you know, we've talked about this many times, uh, whether it's education funds or other things other than finance that you get advice from. And we just last segment talked about a story that was ripping through the news and, you know, has people concerned. And you hear all of this different information coming in. It's good to have someone to kind of separate it for you and, 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 and explain how it applies to you and how it doesn't apply to you at all. Yeah, and you know, and to that point, I mean, empathy is, is such a critical characteristic that we have to employ all the time because, you know, and I see our role too, and I know you do too, Don, is that little voice on people's shoulders at times in terms of reminding people, you know, what, what does our game plan call for? Does our game plan call for us to, to knee-jerk and change direction just because markets are down? Well, of course, it, it doesn't. So constantly just being the, the reinforcement and the empathy, I think, are critical. Absolutely. And, and again, the biggest mistakes people often do is have a knee-jerk reaction to a news article or something and some really what they would call educated pundits on a subject. And then they say, okay, but they're not, they're not invested in these. So they're not, they're, they're trying to grab headlines. And so, you know what, if, if you follow them and you go down the wrong, the wrong path, there's nobody to talk to on this. Okay. So again, listen, sorry, Don, it's about accountability too. I mean, we have, we, we talk about that fiduciary duty that we have. We are, we are accountable to address these things with people and with factual information and, and so on. Whereas, general information that's out there there's no accountability no absolutely no question and so what happens is this anxiety can kind of snowball and you can you can here's a few signs that your anxiety around money is becoming more of a serious uh, concern um aches and pains believe it or not from everything from a headache or upset stomach just when you look at your bank account you know people have this like oh my god and and it's just like a a mood swing um, avoidance, your bills may remain on the counter for weeks. You can't bring yourself to even go through them. Uh, ana- analysis paralysis, even minor decisions, um, which are normally not a big deal, bring you to a halt because you're looking at the cost of each option. There's no work balance is another one. You feel you have to dedicate every work waking hour to work in order to stay afloat. Uh, rigidity, 
you might plan your budget down to the penny and get upset when, when you have to even make a minor change uh, and trouble sleeping. And so these are all related to money. And that's how serious this is. You know, we, we often say it's either one or number two that money is, uh, is, is causing marriage breakups. It's, it's up there in the top one or two in every single uh, kind of survey you hear about. You know, how many times have we talked about um, the, you know, what does money mean to you? What's the value of money? Like, what are your own values about money? And you could have a couple where, um, you know, one person might not sleep at night because they owe $500. Mm-hmm. And the other person might owe a couple hundred thousand dollars and sleep like a baby because it doesn't affect them. So, the, like, what does money mean and, and what are people's values is really important. And I find this often with the people's bank accounts. And some people have what I call their zero. And for some people, if they have $5,000 in their account, that's their minimum. That's like having zero. For others, oh, I can't have any less than 25000 in my bank account or I feel like I don't have any money. Others, I have, if as long as I'm not hitting my maximum on, on, my, uh, on my negative balance, I'm okay. And so I, I got negative 2000 Oh, wow, I still got an extra 1000 to spare. And that's their zero. So everybody's different. And part of his education and and I'm not quite sure why I, I have seen some of those <laughs> that have a negative balance. I'm thinking, are you seriously, you're paying this much interest every month? It's part of his education too. But it's interesting. You're more likely to feel stress or anxious about money if you have a, a history of um, being deprived. And poverty can be traumatic. And so in going through a history, say your upbringing, where you didn't have enough food or housing or so forth, can lead you with these kind of money anxieties going forward. Um, lower unsteady income. If you're worried about uh, if you don't have enough money, or if you have a you know a, a, a steady job one week, say 40 hours, and the next is 20 hours. Or you know these people that are have money anxiety with this should never be self-employed, okay? <laughs> because that is purely an entrepreneur, is they are used to having a very unsteady income. Uh, rising expenses, they will lead to money anxiety. Um, just debt alone, different kinds of debt. And we've talked about there's so many different different kinds of debt from um, tax deductible debt, which I would say is the best debt you can have, to the money marts of this world or payday loans, which is the worst debt you can ever have. And many debts in between that can really rise, raise your anxiety. Yes, Gary? You know, sometimes we, uh, even even the the stereotypical millionaire next door scenario, mm-hmm. sometimes a portion of those people are depriving themselves of spending money on things that they would really enjoy, things that they would really like to spend their money on because of the fear, in some cases, the anxiety of not having it. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, the anxiety is it really can actually affect, as you just mentioned, enjoying your life. And it can create things such as a family conflict. And it's kind of almost like you said, the, uh, you know, the devil angel on your shoulder. Quite often you see that within spouses. One is like, okay, we can't save anymore. We've got to live. We've got to spend for the day. Let's take that trip. Let's do that. The other one's saying, oh, we've got to save for the future. We've got to save for retirement. And there's this conflict between spouses. Now, sometimes the right answer is in between. Let's have some fun now and save for the future, which I actually agree with. Um, but again, it's all coming down to the plan. But it can lead to a lot of family conflict and this anxiety, um, sleep deprivation, as I mentioned. 
which again, if you have that, then there's all sorts of things that take place, heart disease, high blood pressure, diabetes, depression, all because of sleep deprivation, which the root cause is money. And had they have just known what is actually causing the sleep deprivation, quite often they're taking, you know, pills, et cetera, for this. And it really comes down to what's going on in their financial situation. It actually can lead to gambling, um, hoarding, where you start hoarding all sorts of things, saving food longer than your expiration date, um, all, all sorts of hoarding, substance abuse, which is kind of interesting. Money anxiety will lead to, well, let's have a few drinks or alcohol or, or, or sorry, drugs, which then turns into, I don't have enough money because I'm spending my money on booze or drugs, which leads to more anxiety. It's, it's just a vicious circle. So this is all it comes down to how important is money in our world. And I don't have to tell you all this. So it is, so, you know, how do, how do we handle this at the end of the day? First is let's blow off some steam, enjoy some of it, have, Calculate your income expenses and start to say, okay, we can actually do this. And so making a budget, does this not seem familiar, Gary? Like, of course, yeah. Th this is financial planning. This here, financial planning alone helps just the process of doing this, helps with money anxiety, helps people's health. And it's no, I guess it's not a coincidence that people that have money on average live longer. It is, this is true. It's an actual fact. And it's so when I actually went through some of the data uh, a few weeks back, I was looking at if you take a 65 year old with money, how much money should they take their Canada pension plan early? Because if they have money, they're going to live longer. So the average age was a few years longer than people that hit 65 without money. Um, and again, it's just about getting in. What you really need at the end of the day is getting some professional help. And so, and this will end up helping you get rid of the anxiety. Now, on the other hand, can money buy happiness? I never did answer that question. And it, it's been a lot of studies on this. And it's not necessarily an actual, yes, it does, no, it doesn't. Kind of interesting. Those that say, I want to be happy, my goal is to be happy. They actually have a hard time being happy because they're only they're so fixated on being, trying to be, achieve happiness they forget to engage in the activities that actually bring them happiness, okay? So stop being focused on happiness as your goal, but rather look at what are the activities that bring you happiness. And you can be happy regardless of money. So an example, if you buy champagne for an event, and it's a big event, and you're going to be happy, this is a nice event, for example, and uh, it can cost, say, $75. But you can also buy a cremant out of France, it costs $25. Side by side, cost, you, you would not actually taste very little, if any, difference at all. For the average person, I'm sure some connoisseur could. But at the end of the day, it didn't bring any extra joy in spending that extra $50 a bottle. And yet, sometimes it's simply looking at, I just want champagne. So what you need to do is evaluate your happiness kind of rate on a scale one to 10, reflecting back in the history of your life, what, made, what things made you happy? And then look at more present-minded, experience happiness on your daily experiences. See, unfortunately, what happens is people are actually going through events and they didn't even know they turned out to be one of the most happiest events they've ever had until they reflect on them a year or two later. 
He said, wow, that was such a great time we had. Enjoy it at the time. And so where does this take place? It turns out a study was done in 2010 that there was no big change in happiness if your income was over 75000 That And that's U.S. dollars. It turns out that would be now about two It'd be about, about 110000 in today's currency. I mean, today's uh, after adjusted for inflation in U.S. dollars. So I guess that works out to about 140000 in in Canada. Again, it comes down to, though, doing the things that would make you happy. So it turns out the things that really will buy happiness, buy the experience, not the things. And so if you're going to go to say, I want to have this experience, um, say um, a restaurant or horseback riding or I'm going to do a mountain biking trip or what happens to be the things that make you happy the experience will last a lot longer in your mind for a happiness factor rather than buying a new couch Um, make it a treat quite often we go to say uh, Starbucks Tim Hortons what have you and buy a cappuccino and it becomes a habit and now it's not even brings you any happiness it's just like I got to get myself a coffee now if you make it say I'm going to go Starbucks and get myself one of these and it's an event it's a treat that will make you happier buy time time's so valuable and so trying to do things that save time for people will end up making you happy for example a cleaning lady or somebody to help you with your loan lawn and I could should say a cleaning person <laughs> okay um, pay now and consume labor later and invest in others seeing invest in others uh, such as your kids will bring happiness so if you can help them become happier um, such as uh, a, a family vacation or helping just a society or, or giving your time for charity will bring happiness. So at the end of the day, does money equal happiness? It doesn't exactly, but it makes a big difference. And what really makes the difference though, when it all came down, planning. Financial planning creates the happiness because you have somebody like Gary or I going through everything so that you don't have the anxiety of money or reduce the anxiety and we can plan for the events that truly make you happy. And you know what I've learned out of this little segment there, Don, is not only do you need your financial planner on one shoulder, you need your counselor on another. (laughs) (laughs) We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Gary Hogan are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Going to take a break here. We're coming right back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Gary Hogan are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905 972 7420. We're going to talk about managing market volatility during retirement. That's got to be stressful right there. Yeah, it's it's certainly uh it can be a stress and you know there's a there's a concept that that Don and I uh share with people all the time and there there are people out there that we've never met who might be applying this concept unknowingly uh in terms of what they're doing uh, within their retirement as far as as uh, their investments go. But uh, first, I just wanted to talk about three potential threats to to our uh, people's well-being uh, once they're they're retired. 
And Don has talked about this on the show before, longevity risk. So it's simply the risk that, you know, that you outlive what you've accumulated. Then there's inflation risk. And again, earlier in the show, we were talking about that. Cost of living is higher than what you planned for. And again, if you're working with an advisor who's diligent about updating uh, financial plans over time, then that shouldn't really be a problem. Because if, if, the, if the plan is active and ever-changing, then we're factoring, you know, inflation issues in. And, of course, market risk and, and the risk that market volatility decreases the value of your portfolio. There's a, there's a subset to that one, and that's the sequence of returns risk. And that's a, it is a subset of market risk where the market falls just before or early in your retirement, making it difficult to recover your savings. So if you, if you have a solid investment strategy, there are ways to, to manage around that. And the concept that I was referring to is, is simply called a cash wedge strategy. So, so what is it? A cash wedge strategy simply can, can help you steady your retirement income in times of volatility. And the, the goal with the strategy is to allocate a portion of your portfolio uh, to cash or a cash equivalent uh, to help meet your current income needs while still diversifying the rest of your portfolio so you can obviously benefit from participating in the market, which is which is key. So who should consider a strategy like this? Well, retirees who rely on their portfolio for a regular source of income. So if we're drawing money out on a systematic basis, um, you know, this this type of strategy is 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 really ideal. Um, if we look at at 2022 as a as a classic example, if we as a retiree, if we're drawing a steady stream of income from our, our portfolio, but we we don't have a portion of our portfolio set up that would not be at all affected by either market uh, dropping market conditions or the inverse relationship of rising interest rates on bonds, which we saw last year, we were hit with both of those things. Um, if we if we don't have a, a cash related type of position, a small position in our portfolio to provide an income stream for us to weather that storm, to weather through a period of time, then we're 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 drawing money from investments that are down on a systematic basis, and that of course is a problem. And you know this cash wedge strategy is it's particularly beneficial for people that are that are paying themselves an income. But it's really an important uh, component to have in any portfolio for for someone at any age, because what a lot of people we find a lot of people do uh, when we we first encounter them and we're looking at their situation is people will have a bank account. And Don was talking earlier about different thresholds that people are comfortable with keeping in their bank account, um, and that's their that's their short term money. So let's say they have a threshold of five thousand; they want to keep five thousand in no matter what. The rest of their money that they have is is all tied up in longer term investments or mid range types of investments. Something happens either the markets if they're even if they're not drawing money out and they have a need, an emergency comes up, they don't have the resources to deal with that. And if markets go down, of course, and they're drawing systematic amounts of money out, you know that's a real problem. So, employing a cash wedge strategy, you know what are the benefits? It it reduces the impact of the sequence of returns. And I'm going to give an example of that in just a moment. Uh, increase the portfolio liquidity. Liquidity is key. Liquidity is always king because we never know when we're going to need some of the funds that we that we have unexpected. Uh, emergencies, purchases, etc., and ensure that short-term income is not that particular portion is not uh, 
subject to you know to market declines and then just a, a general overall level of of comfort so when we talk about the sequence of returns what we're really talking about here is two different scenarios so during our accumulation years if we look at say a 10-year period and uh for the first uh if we get steady returns throughout which never happens but if we get steady <laughs> returns uh, throughout, we we end up with a certain a certain number after the ten years. Um, if if the markets do really well, say for the first four years, and then and then we run into problems in terms of returns towards the end. If we're not drawing money out and we're just accumulating, we get the same end result as if it were the other way around, where we started with lower returns and then the higher returns ended up uh, towards the end. But once we're withdrawing money out, it's it's a completely different situation. If we run into a case where the first, say, the first four years, three years of retirement, uh, the performance is not what we hoped it would be, even though the next the next uh, six years after that it recovers and does well. We're not going to we're not going to maintain the same amount of money in our portfolio as if we started out high and then and then uh, the the results uh, worsen. So um, it's really important in terms of uh, where we're taking our money from, in terms of uh, accessing our money, but making sure that we have this reserve, this cash wedge uh, set up, so that at any point in time. We can we can rely on those funds for for various various needs that we have. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Gary Hogan are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. Find out more at donfox.net. Call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Another break here. We're coming right back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning our financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Gary Hogan are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Don, you got a vacation checklist for us here, I understand. Yes, yes. And it's... uh. It's that time of year, you know, we're, we're heading into the summer and there's lots of vacations planned, I'm sure. And you know what? It's kind of interesting. When we come to vacation, we, we've all lived regimented lives to a certain extent, get to work at a certain time, leave work at a certain time, do whatever. Vacation is like, okay, this is out the window. Let's have some fun. And you know what? This is where you need to have certain things still looked upon and a checklist for. Because as a, as a motorhome owner, I tried to do it the non-checklist way. And the first thing is to think, okay, I got everything. I'm ready to leave. I've checked everything, I think. And I go to drive away and thankfully I checked my 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 mirror and I'm still plugged in. I'm <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah. It, I'm it's the leash. I'd last about another 10 feet and I would be ripping the plug out of my motorhome. <laughs> so that that and uh, the uh, the worst one was actually leaving the awning up. Um, and starting to leave. And that one there, and again, we didn't go very far. But again, this is what, it, and every motorhome owner has stories like this. So I'm thinking every time anybody buys a motorhome, they should say, here's a checklist. Keep it here. And we go it, go through it like, every, like clockwork every time now because you need to. Even though like nine 
99% of the time we've done everything. It's all it takes is that one time you didn't. So again, vacations are no different. So take a look at your own thing. Um, first of all, have a budget. What are you going to spend on your vacation? And is it already kind of worked into the scenario? Um, I do find some people kind of get off the rails a little bit and you end up paying for that vacation for like a year or two later. And if it's on your credit card, you're paying 20% interest on that vacation, which ends up leading back to that first segment on financial anxiety. So uh, secondly is have your emergency numbers um, so that friends, family are saved in your cell phone so that and, and your spouse's cell phone so that you know that if something happens that you have reason able to contact each other. Keep your medical insurance policy in your available, maybe in your glove compartment. Um, have a backup person. So somebody at home that can deal with things financially. So, for example, if you need to get a bill paid and you had forgotten about doing this, um, no problem. You have somebody do that. Nice thing now is we all have cell phones and we can do um, banking on the phone. So that's taken off some of that ease. Okay, so it's made it a little easier. But also look at your power of attorney. Great chance to look at, you know, this is really exciting. I'm going to go on vacation. I'm going to check my will and power of attorney. Yes, it's a great time. Most wills are done before a major vacation, about over 80%. Because... We're never going to die at home. So, hey, if that's the cue to get your <laughs> <laughs> to get your wills and power attorneys in order, so be it. At least they're getting done. Um, check with your doctor. Make sure you got all your vaccinations or um, medications so you can get through the vacation. Um, divert mail or have a have a uh, a neighbor or whatever pick up it daily. And this is actually something that's come across lately, particularly after the pandemic, is make sure your passport's valid. If you're going to go across to the U.S., um, and then we also had all the lengthy lines of getting passports, so a lot of people said, you know what, I'm not going to do that now, I'll wait. Well, maybe it's expired, and maybe you need to get that done. And if it's really close to expiring, they may not let you across the border anyway, or even on the plane if you're going to, say, Europe or something. So again, super easy to get this done. Just, again, takes a little bit of prep. Put this checklist, uh, hopefully just rewind this podcast if you're listening on podcast or uh, go to donfox.net and look at the podcast and then go through this checklist. Um, if not, you can always reach us and we can send you the checklist. Uh, make sure your um, you address labels on your luggage are current. You know, with all the recent luggages being lost, uh, people are moving a lot and housing and you might have an old luggage tag still on your luggage because you haven't been on vacation since before the pandemic and great they finally find your luggage but they're sending it to the new owner's house so uh photocopy your documents and just give the itinerary to your friends or family so they know where you're going and it's you know i know everybody loves to a certain extent i'm going to go off the grid but again let your kids and or, or family know where you are and for those snowbirds, okay, they've been down south and they're packing up everything. This is the other side of it. Okay, what do we do to get back home? And first thing is like, you're probably back home already, but this is again, good for your checklist. Check your gutters, downspouts and drains before leaving for the winter. And this could go either way, whether you're leaving, say Canada to go to, the, to Florida, have you, if you will, or Florida back to Canada. Um, winterize outside taps and sprinkler systems. Okay, that's definitely from going from um, Canada to Florida. Uh, replace those bulbs on your security lights. You're going to be gone for a while. 
And uh, if you own a place in Florida, you want to have security there. If you own a place in Canada, you're going to Florida, you want security there. Make sure everything is still working on both sides. And again, for those cottage owners, same thing. You know, um, some are not seasonal, are there seasonal cottages? And so after, say, September or Canadian Thanksgiving, they don't come back until the spring, May 2 for a weekend. Well, that cottage has been sitting there for quite some time. So a lot of these would apply for that too. Um, turn off the ice maker in your fridge. Turn down the furnace. Unplug those unnecessary appliances. And, um, you know, one great idea is take a video of all your valuables before you go. And just go room for room and take a video. It's so easy now with your, your, you know, your iPhone or your Android. And just so you have it, in case something happens, say, hey, I took this on this day and it's, and it's date stamped. This is what was here before I left. So all these come together and it's great to have this checklist. And you probably can add more to this checklist because every situation is a little different. But at the end of the day, we all want to have memorable, fun vacations. And a checklist might just make sure it happens. We have been planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Gary Hogan have been here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. Call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Thank you, gentlemen. Another great show. We'll chat next week. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. 911 on a new night Thursday March 14th on Global stream on Stack TV